fellow challenge lovers, welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things MTV's The Challenge, past, present, or future. If it's happening in the Challenge universe, then we are here to document it for all time. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hollibald. Thank you so very, very much for being here with us today on this wonderful Monday or whatever day it happens to be. When you are listening, we are here to discuss the continued path of the 2022 Challenge Series Rewatch with Season 6, The Battle of the Sexes, our longest season to date, our most controversial season to date, and if I'm being honest, right up at the top, which I always try to be, I'm spoiling a little things that come at the end, but right off the bat, my least favorite season to date as well. We will just get that out of the way right up front, but... Even with that said, there is a lot to love and a lot that I do love with this season, about this season, and there is certainly a whole heck of a lot to talk about and digest. We're going to do it all. The format today will be essentially the same as it has been for all these full season rewatch and recaps, which if you've missed any of them, we're on season six. We're doing them in order. They're all available on this very same podcast feed, so you can go check those out. And before I go even any further, I should say, because it is the most common question so far on this challenge series we watch is, where can I watch these episodes? Where can I watch these seasons one through nine? They're not available. Well, as I posted on the Challenge Story on Instagram, this is the first season where I can or cannot, I'm not 100% able to confirm, but I kind of confirm that if you were to search R-W-R-R, The Challenge S6 on dailymotion.com. You very likely could come across one, if not all, of the episodes of this season if you did want to rewatch it yourself before continuing listening to this or to go then watch along episode recaps on Instagram or whatnot. So if you listen to this, you love it, you want to dive back into this season, that one is out there on the interwebs for you to find and watch until it possibly gets taken down. They kind of pop up and go down from Daily Motion from time to time. But we are going to be breaking this season down the same as we've done the first five, which means we are going to start by breaking down where the challenge was as a franchise going in and the evolutions in the show and the game that took place. From there, a trip down memory lane to dissect all the major storylines that played out over this season. And then we asked ourselves what age the best, what age the worst, if there were any warts on the franchise from this season. And then finally, we get into the nitty-gritty details as we hand out the hardware for the best quote, the best moment, the best athletic performance, daily challenge, episode, and of course, the most coveted prize of all, our season-long MVP. And we end the podcast with the final grade for the season to put it in the pantheon, put it in the history books for all time. Our grades are the final grades that matter, so we'll place it where it belongs in challenge history at the very end. So much to do, so little time, although technically I have as much time as I want, I guess, but that doesn't mean that you do. So let's dive on in and get started, shall we? The state of the challenge entering this very somewhat pivotal season six. Uh, you know, you go past the fifth season, you really, you really got a franchise on your hand, and entering this season, the challenge was at 
uh, a place where it was now a sustained franchise that had a lot of success was the thing a lot of people knew about and followed and had you know become the first of those major reality shows that all debuted around the same time the challenge came first within a year or two after we had survivor big brother and the amazing race kind of the big four of reality competition shows and the challenge was really humming along they knew they had something great, but entering this year, there was a bit of a phase shift up as pretty much every season had been to that point, but this was the real one where they said, you know what, this will be the fourth season in a row, really fifth in a row where they've done filmed one season and put it out in one year, although two se- the first two seasons did come film a little bit closer together because they were so different from each other, but they did air one year after the other. This was the final one where we only aired one a year. Starting this year, 2003, this one aired January 2003 to May 2003. They filmed multiple two seasons back-to-back. They put out both seasons in 2003 And we were off to getting not just one challenge every single year starting in January. Now we got two challenges every single year. We had a winter one and we had a late summer one. And that could that kind of became the cadence that we would expect. So going into the season, they clearly were pushing. They had already pushed a lot of chips into the table. Now they're pushing all the chips into the table and saying, we don't just need this to be a hit show once a year. We're going to pump out as many of these seasons as we can. We're doing two seasons a year. We're up in the production. We're up in the cast size. We're up in everything. We're up in the whole game, all right? And at this very same time that they were deciding to do this, it was clear that they were doing so because Road Rules, which was filming its third to last, or second to last, however you want to say it really, uh, season at the time, was really kind of on its last legs and dying. There were some iconic cast members that came from those final few seasons that went on to have you know iconic challenge runs, the Abes, Derricks, Tories of the world, but that show was really, really dying out, and clearly the resources had been shifted already and were now shifting almost fully from the real world is in the midst of an iconic run. It is going stronger than it could ever be, And that's not going anywhere, but kind of phasing out road rules is gone. The challenge is in as our new kind of game show thing. We've got enough cast members to run this for a long, long time to come just using the road rules and rules cast. So they're going bigger than ever. They were bringing in a real host for the first time, which is a thing we'll mention here in evolutions, but is definitely a sign of, you know, we're not just going to even have other cast, former cast members come in as, you know, quote unquote mayors here or there. We're not going to have Mark and Eric host it. We're going to have them in the show, back in the show as cast members. We're going to bring in a real host. We're going to make this a real official thing. The way, while it started first, that a survivor or a big brother or an amazing race had kind of become this very official thing. They kind of had a face of the franchise with their host. So that was where the challenge was going in. They were trying to not just have been the first on the scene, but now they're trying to kind of reclaim that throne and really assert their dominance and up the game to twice a year instead of once a year. That's where we were heading in. Now, this season, season six, Battle of the Sexes, the couple basics before we get into how it evolved the game and or show. The basics of the season, it aired January to May 2003. The location, only one single location for the second year in a row. We were in some villas in one single location. We were out of the Winnebago's. Those were long gone to history. We were in Montego Bay, Jamaica. This was hosted, as we just said, a real host for the first time outside from outside the challenge, real world road rules, MTV even community. That would be gold medal winning skier Johnny Mosley. The contestants. 
There were 36 of them. I'm going to read them all very, very quickly here, but I'm going to go through them in order. Let's go. This is a battle of the sexes, so it was a women's team and a men's team. Let's read through the women's team. First, we had Ruthie from Real World Hawaii, Ellen from Road Rules the Quest, Lori from Real World Back to New York, Melissa from New Orleans, Genesis from Real World Boston, Emily from Second Adventure, Anne from Northern Trail, Ayana from Semester at Sea, Veronica from Semester at Sea, Christina from Down Under, Tanya from Chicago, Anissa from Chicago, Rachel from Campus Crawl, Amaya from Hawaii, Yazella from Quest, Gladys from Latin America, Beth from Los Angeles, and Julie from New Orleans. Then on the male side, Mark Long. Road Rules First Adventure, everyone knows The Godfather, Colin from Real World Hawaii, Jamie from New Orleans, Antoine from Road Rules Europe, Shane from Road Rules Campus Crawl, James from Road Rules Maximum Velocity Tour, Eric from Real World New York, Blair from Road Rules The Quest, Cyrus from Real World Boston, Theo from Chicago, Jake from Road Rules Islands, Dan from Real World Miami, that's Dan Renzi, lots of Dans came through at this time of the show, David from San Francisco, a.k.a. Puck. Yes, from Semester at Sea. David, now Tokyo from Real World New Orleans. Eric from Road Rules Campus Crawl. Letarian from Maximum Velocity Tour. And David Edwards from Real World LA. That's a huge, huge list, but they all deserved a mention here at some point in case they don't get mentioned later. So that was the list. A huge, huge list. A lot of iconic names on that list and really kind of at entering the peak of powers of being able to fill a 36-person cast with all these fan favorites from all these seasons of the show. Now, you know, Road Rules, again, was filmed season 11 at the time. I believe Real World is also 11 or 12. I think Chicago was 10, and that had just finished. So I think they were also on 11. So you got 20 seasons worth of cast to pick from. That's 120 people, essentially, to pick from or more, um, depending if my numbers and math are exactly correct. But huge contestant list. Now, let's then move into where this season evolved. We knew where it was going in. We know the basics of who was on it, where it was happening. But before we talk major storylines, let's talk how this season evolved the game of the challenge, the show, the challenge, both sides of the two pillars of the sport and the show. The first one, the biggest the biggest one by far, the biggest evolution this season had. And if you listen to the previous season, Battle of the Seasons podcast, you know that the evolutions in that, that was a pivotal season. Season five, we said back then, was the pivotal one. It changed the game in so many dramatic and big, big ways. And then we also alluded on that one, as we will right now, that the following season after this current one, season seven, the gauntlet had more monumental changes. So this one is wedged right between the other two and not to be anywhere less important on its own in a vacuum. It had some monumental changes and some very important things for the show, but when it's wedged between season five and season seven, that had such massive, massive game altering and long-term changes to the franchise, it's kind of hard to always remember that this one had some real changes itself, some real evolution. So the first one was the obvious one, the biggest one. This was called Battle of the Sexes. It was men versus women, which means for the first time in challenge history, it was not real world versus road rules in some form or fashion. Real world and road rules cast members were on the same team based on their gender, split in half, 18 and 18. That was a massive change because while it would go back in the following season to real world versus road rules, and we'd have one or two more of those in the gauntlet seasons, 
this was the the opening of a new era. This was the first season that would then go on in a nine-season run to every one of them be a part of a theme that came back at least twice, if not three times. So this was Battle of the Sexes 1. We'd eventually get Battle of the Sexes 2. It was followed by Gauntlet, Inferno. Those would each have trilogies to them, and eventually Fresh Meat and Duel that would each have sequels as well. So this was the start of a real theme phase for the show, to have not the original OG theme of real world versus road rules, but changing it up, having a theme to the season, battle of the sexes, no more real world versus road rule. Instead, men versus women. That was a huge, huge evolution that obviously went on to spawn all of the seasons ever since, you know, with their different themes, their different titles, their different types of formats. Then the next evolution, we already said it, we'll say it again. First ever non-affiliated host to be brought into the show in the first of what would become three in a row until we get to the God himself, TJ Lavin, the challenge God that he is. Um, but the first of three extreme sport athletes, Johnny Mosley coming in as a Olympic gold medal winning downhill skier and coming into host, he would eventually go on to host three season, two seasons of the show. He hosts this one uh, and he had three seasons, I believe. Yes, this one, The Gauntlet and Battle of Sexes 2. So first time we brought someone in every season prior to this had been, you know, right immediately prior, Mark Long and Eric Neese hosted the season before this. Prior to that, they did a full season of mayors at everyone where sometimes the clues would be left by a cast member. Sometimes it would just be whoever's in charge of the actual challenge that day from the production side or whatever. And the seasons before that, they had the ill-fated Mr. or Miss Big concept brought over from Road Rules. So first time we brought in a host. Then the next evolution in a really... A big one that lasted for many seasons, but then when even when the name changed, the idea of it lasted for a long, long time, and that was the lifesaver. We had our first ever time where you win a challenge, you get the ability not just to be safe yourself, potentially, depending if you were in that inner circle or not, but you had the ability to save someone, anyone you wanted. If you thought someone was about to get eliminated, you could save them. Now, was this used throughout the season? Almost not a single time. It actually only came up really once. There was another fake out, and there was a couple times where it was offered to someone who then literally said no. It was like, I'm actually deserved to go home and want to go home, and so it's fine. I'll go home. So it was a little anticlimactic. They didn't get used all that much, but the fact that they brought it into the game and that would come back in multiple seasons after this to come, and then the idea of either winning safety for yourself or being able to grant it to other people or just some more power being attributed to those who win a daily challenge specifically, that idea, that concept would live on for a long, long time still, lives on in the challenge today. So another huge evolution. And then finally, the most contestants ever, they were blowing that out from 32 to 36 now this season. The most episodes ever, 18 regular episodes of the show compared to 17 a couple seasons prior. And if you want to count reunion and preview special, this one had 20 full episodes, 20 weeks in a row that the challenge was on your television screens compared to 18 being the most ever prior. So getting as big as they literally could be, taking up as much of the calendar as they possibly could and as many of the cast members as they could possibly get. And the final evolution of the show, uh, one that I got to say, it's a good thing TJ Lavin wasn't around for this particular season because quitting became a thing on the challenge. Now, had anyone ever quit in the first five seasons? Yes, but this season, it became a real theme 
There were, you know, people quitting because they thought someone else should be kicked off and they weren't. So now they're leaving. There was the person getting kicked off because their wife they had just married on the show was about to get or detained at an airport. There was people quitting because they just had had enough. They had stayed long enough. There was people quitting because they had emergency family issues. There was all kinds of stuff. But there's five, six people that end up, you know, leaving or volunteering. There's three different people that get eliminated, but quit essentially and then allow themselves to be formally eliminated that day and voted out by asking to be voted out so in my mind still you know could be designated as quitting so quitting just became a huge huge thing that people realized hey I signed up for this I showed up for this it's not really what I want to do it's not I don't really like being here I'm just going to leave I can just leave and uh they did Um, And TJ Lavin was not around to let them know how much he disliked some of them. Some of them, very, very good reasons. A couple family emergencies that came up. Obviously, get yourself back to your loved ones. Be with them in a time of need, in a time when support's needed. Absolutely. A couple of the other ones, though, definitely would have got read the Riot Act by one TJ Lavin. Were he around, but we're still four seasons short of that. So, That's where the challenge was going into this season. That's kind of the basics of the season and the evolutions that would take place in the game. We've got a really broad view, a really high-level view. Now, let's get a little bit closer to the ground. Let's dial it down a little bit more narrow, and let's talk about the biggest storylines that went through this season one by one. Here we go. It brings me no pleasure to start the storylines of the season segment off with the one that we we have to start with, it was the biggest story of the season, even though, thankfully, it uh, only lasted about a third of this, a little more than a third of the season, I guess, eight, eight episodes, nine episodes. How long did we last here? Yeah, not eight, eight episodes or so that this story was a thing, and that is the puck of it all. David Puck Rainey from Real World San Francisco, an infamous character in real world lore for some of the things that went down on his real world season and, you know, just a little bit of a controversial character there. And he was brought in on this season in the male cast. And while it's uh, it's a really difficult thing to discuss because as they lived out on the show, yes, the story revolved almost entirely around Puck for the eight episodes that he was on this show No, that was not necessarily a good thing. Some people would be very entertained by it, um, but it is, as we will talk about later when we talk best, worst, and warts. Um, In my estimation, spoiler, it is a a pretty big wart on the show that he was there at all or that he got to stay there. Let's walk through what all went down with Puck on this season because it is, you know, from a memorable standpoint, um, if you bring this season up, he is probably the first thing that most people think of his wedding, which yes, he got married on this season in Montego Bay, Jamaica. A whole episode is dedicated to his wedding on this season. Um, it's all it's all wild. So let's run through it start to finish. Episode one, first, first thing coming out the gate. Puck is there, as is David Edwards, real world LA, kicked off of his season of that both of which, David and Puck, had been brought back into the Challenge universe as Mr. Big on seasons one and two, so they kind of gotten a little trial run of could we use these people again, even though they had the exits that they had on the real world. Guess 
Buna Murray, all the production side decided so, and I am going to say Murray a lot in this because Jonathan Murray was heavily involved in not just the decision-making of the show at large and every aspect of it, but literally in the show, we see him multiple times in the early stages and most um, impactfully in these first two episodes where David and Puck, they get in a big old yelling match, episode one. We don't know exactly how it starts, but we the cameras catch in with David yelling some wild shit at Puck. Um, some wild accusations about uh, hitting, uh, you know, past romantic partners and things, and some really egregious and wild accusations that if any, any of them were to be true are, you know, really, really horrible things for a person to do and really, really horrible things to be accusing a person of um, without us having any idea if any of it is true other than you are now just yelling at the top of your lungs that this person does these sorts of things. Huge verbal argument ensues. David's yelling all this wild shit. Puck is kind of remaining calm and then out of nowhere just decides, to spit in David's face, which David immediately reacts by turning around and saying, he just spit in my face, you're disqualified, get out of here. Seemingly like he kind of knew a little bit what he was doing and was egging Puck on, but Puck spit in the man's face from like two feet away, right directly in his face. And while, as we've explored the last few seasons of the show, they didn't have concrete rules in place. They started to put them in place when they decided to remove Ayana from season four for you know violence of any kind towards another cast member, regardless of what prompted it. And you know, we discussed that back on that season. I didn't think that was an appropriate removal, but go listen to that podcast if you want to hear that breakdown. But in this one, a spit in the face is not punching someone in the face, but it is extraordinarily rude. It is extraordinarily not okay to do regardless of the wild shit that is being said to you. And so David goes off. He's like, this guy's got to get kicked out of here, obviously. Puck is kind of like, I don't know what's really that big of a deal. He goes back and talks to the rest of the cast, telling them what he, you know, his version of events. And then David calls Jonathan Murray. They have a cell phone, and they somehow are able to call directly to Jonathan Murray, again, of Bunum Murray, one of the two, you know, co-creators of this whole thing, calls them. Tells him, this guy spit in my face. You got to get him out of here. You got to get him out of here. And he goes crazy on the phone. And so uh, nothing's really happening. And the next, uh, I think later that day, they're getting ready to go to their first challenge. They're loading on the bus. And Jonathan Murray shows up. Jonathan Murray comes to the bus, tells Puck, hey, you've got to go pack your bags. You're going home. Puck says, no, I'm not. (laughs) Um, That man was saying all kinds of crazy stuff. I am the victim here, and I am not going home, and all of these cast members are behind me, to which all the other cast members to say, yeah, well, well, no, he, he can't get sent home. Like, it wasn't that bad, this, that, and the other. They all come to the decision and almost in unison within the bus say, if you're going to make Puck leave, we're all leaving. Like, you're not going to have a show. They completely stand up for Puck, which... Doesn't age well, doesn't look great um, after the fact, but they all stand up for him. They Jonathan Murray has no idea what to do. He's like, I'm about to lose my entire show. Is all these casts going to walk out? Like I try, I told the guy to go home. He said no. Now the cast is revolting. David's over here super duper pissed about the whole thing. So he finally said, backs down and just says, all right, you guys get back in the van, go do the challenge, and and that's it. Let's just Let's just move forward and see what happens. They do the challenge. Uh, David gets, uh, they, David and Puck both participate. The, neither one does super great. They're low on the standings of the whole thing. 
And after the next day or the next night after the daily challenge, sometime after the daily challenge, Puck is some, I forget who gives him the idea, but they basically, I think it was David who, uh, David Broom from Real World New Orleans, who now goes by Tokyo. Uh, so if I say Tokyo, I am referring to Tokyo from Real World New Orleans here. Um, he goes up to David and says, what if, uh, what if, what if, Puck lets you like. How can we resolve this? They're gonna let Puck stay. So how can we resolve this? What if what if you get to spit on Puck? What if would that help? And you know, David says sure. So Tokyo goes and gets Puck, brings him back, and and Puck says okay, whatever, and literally lays down the grounds like spit on me. I don't care. Just do it. Get it over with. Let's move. Pack this. And David bends over and says, I'm not gonna give you the pleasure. You're getting kicked out of here. You're going home. To which they continue. To, they don't kick Puck out. David eventually decides, I don't want to stay here then if this guy's staying here. And David is the one that quits. Uh, again, both people, guys, in this entire situation are totally in the wrong. Can't spit on someone. Can't yell the wild shit that David was yelling at Puck. Neither one is good. Uh, does yelling wild shit get you kicked off the show? Probably shouldn't. Uh, we would not have the challenge if yelling wild shit got people kicked off the show. Spitting in someone's face, should that get you kicked off the show? Yeah, it probably should. And uh, again, context matters as far as he didn't just walk up and do it. He was provoked, but that is also a long history now in this show that this is kind of one of the first ones of that sometimes yelling wild shit is a way to provoke someone to get kicked themselves kicked off the show. And so... Puck probably should have went. The, the idea that the cast entirely stood up for him is wild and crazy. Then from there, he decides, you know what? Uh, I've got my fiance, Betty. She's coming to visit me soon with my six-month-old child, Bogart. And when they come, I've decided I want to get married. And he decided, he and Mark Long go and plan out, this is this is the area we're going to do. Eric Nice will be my best man. Everyone will come. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have a wedding right here on the challenge. He tells some of the women about it by the pool. And Ellen, amongst others, is like, I don't know if that's the greatest idea. Are you sure that's what your bride's going to want? This, that, and the other. That turns into a episode, multi-episode long vengeance by Puck towards Ellen. Treats her like shit. Treats many other people like shit yells at them a bunch, is teasing them a bunch, is always teasing the women's team during the daily challenges and during the uh, elimination ceremonies or the voting off ceremonies, if you will. But Puck does have a wedding. His wife, Betty, or fiance that becomes wife, Betty, and his baby uh, come stay a few dates at the villa. They have an entire wedding. Is the entire episode six. It is wild and crazy, the support that they give. I should mention the the craziest part of all this is during the time when Jonathan Murray has to come and tries to kick Puck off and Puck just basically says no and then they say, okay, fine, you can stay. He Puck says to Jonathan Murray, uh, I've given you so much. I've done everything for you. You owe me. Like There's a lot of language like that where he's like, I am as big of a star as you have because I am this character and this kind of piece of shit a lot of time. Um, that part's really, really wild. But they they have the wedding. Uh, it is if you could take the kind of the puck out of it, it's it's really cool in a way that they like do this. It's it's crazy. It's not how I would. It's not how I did my wedding. Not how I would necessarily want to do my wedding. But it's kind of wild that a full episode of the challenge is just this person getting married impromptu. The whole cast gets into it. A handful of the women decide not to attend, um, kind of in solidarity with Ellen and in for just out of pride for themselves and how Puck has treated them throughout the show. They have the wedding. 
uh, Puck and Betty and Bogart go to some stay the night somewhere else so he can have his one night honeymoon. He comes back the next day, and that is when all hell breaks loose, and he ends up leaving the show because his wife is not a U.S. citizen, and she forgot to bring her green card with her. So when trying to leave Jamaica the next day to go back to the United States, she is detained at the airport because she does not have her green card to get back into the States at that immediate time. Puck finds this out, goes on a rampage, tears the whole villa apart, carries around a machete, walking around, talking to people, out of control. He completely and utterly wrecks and ruins everything in the villa and then gets in a van and leaves, never to be seen again. It's all horrible and it's the ending that could only be have been expected in all of this how he was going to leave the show and what he was going to do on his way out um and a ton of damage is done everyone's wrecked and the real the real kind of bummer part of all of it is that while he's doing all this the big crux for a lot of the women towards a lot of the men is all the men kind of encourage it the whole time no one wants to stand up to puck they kind of look at him as kind of like the leader of the men's group in a weird way they kind of promote it they go along with it they laugh when he's making fun of people anytime one of the women comes to one of the men and is like hey like there's one specific one i'm thinking of where rachel goes to mark and is like hey like he said some like wild shit at that that one time and like that's not okay that's not cool he can't say that to i believe he told ellen i'm gonna kick your ass directly to her threatening her and mark's kind of like did he say that or you i don't know if he actually said that exactly and you know kind of just like beats around the bush of yeah they all just kind of stand in the background and kind of laugh and they don't they don't want pucks rage themselves they don't want to get on the bat his bad side and so they kind of all go along with it and promote it a little bit and it's only blair shout out to blair who's the only single one who even makes a an attempt at standing up to Puck in a little bit of a way. He does it as cordially and friendly as he possibly can, but goes to him and says, like, can you knock off? I'm not telling you Ellen's right or you're right or anything, but can like you've been picking on her for days on end. Can we just could we just not? Could we just move on and just that that not be a thing anymore? So at least props to him for being the only one that kind of tries. Um and Dan as well, uh, who befriends you know, basically the whole women's villa in this. He's hanging out there as much as he did with the guys. He's kind of the fan favorite of the entire cast from both both villas here. And he, you know, commiserates a little bit more than most of the other guys do with, you know, the nastiness that Puck is bringing. But the guy's not really standing up to him. It's real, it's real, real bummer. And it really brings a bummer to the whole, the first eight episodes of the season. Uh, for me, rewatching it, there's some fun stuff going on, but it's kind of all overshadowed by, you know, every few minutes he says something or does something. And it's like, oh God, I just really wish they would have not felt the need to put put this back out there in front of us. I will admit I have no idea what, what went on to be uh, of Puck's life after this. I hope he's doing fantastic and, you know, everything is great. Um, but it was it's a bummer rewatching that they brought him back on the show. So that's a very long winded way of saying that that was really the storyline of the first eight of the 18 episodes was just everything was all about puck all the time. He wanted it that way. He got it that way. The rest of the people in the rest of the guys allowed it to be that way in a, in a big way. So that is the first storyline. Second storyline then of the really arching long winded one of the season would be the format of the season in general. And the men dominating but kind of the kind of the story was that the men were dominating but because of the format it was kind of they actually weren't necessarily dominating the way it ended up 
you know, looking or being portrayed um, more or less because of the format. So really quickly, the format of the season, this was the second of the two seasons in a row where they had a point system where every daily challenge you were competing either as individuals or as pairs. There was only one single time where it was really truly like a team competition that I counted in the stats as a team competition instead of either a pair or an individual. And it would be Everyone, wherever you finished, earned you points from first to last place, 36 points for first, and on down one or two points down all the way, depending how many cast members were still there. Your points accumulated after every daily challenge. Whoever had the top three points on the men's or women's team would be the inner circle who got to vote someone off of their team. But also along with that, at the daily challenge, the person or persons, if it was a pair, that got first place overall in the whole thing not just only won a prize for themselves, but won a prize for their entire team. And their team was deemed, you know, the winning team, the men's one or the women's one, even though it was really individual winners the whole time. And this whole one winner wins it for the team turns out doesn't work super great. Um, and it worked, you know, it was a bit better the season before this, where it was just the team that wins gets a really awesome, amazing prize, but it's just for them. And it's a huge prize just for them, not a smaller prize that then everyone on their team gets, even if someone on their team got last place as an individual in the whole thing. This one was like, hey, you win a MacBook for your whole team. And the one winner wins it for the whole team isn't great because then everything was portrayed as, you know, the men won 10 out of 15 daily challenges when, yes, a male or a male pair won 10 of the 15, but a lot of these contests where were if you would add up the cumulative score they would have been flipped in some way whether it was yes a male got first but if you would add it up the cumulative score like the women overall as a group did better in this competition than the men or vice versa a couple of the ones where the women won it was like all right Ruthie won, but the next six thing, you know, people were were males. And so it feels like, you know, the men should have won that one. But this one over here where Jamie does something amazing, but then like six other women come, you know, the next, you know, six of the next eight spots, they should have actually won that one. And so it really distorts the how much uh, the disparity between the two teams was and really, really awards a lot of a lot of great cool prizes to a lot of people that weren't actually doing a whole heck of a lot. Um, and so, you know, that, that was kind of a bummer, a bit of a bummer also on the season of like, it, it built this storyline that they split like two to two to start. And then the men win like six or seven in a row. But again, it's a, a male win six or seven in a row, but some of those, the, the women overall do better as a group, but it's not portrayed that way. The women get all down about it, this, that, and the other. The ladies do at one point complain in the middle of the season. There is a, a bit of uh, some a episode or two in a row where they start to mention, is this fair? This doesn't seem to be, you know, like it's all everything's catered to the guys, which I do have to say. Uh, one of the hardest things about doing a battle of the sexes season is what are the most appropriate, you know, daily challenges that we can do where if we're bringing you know, athletics into it, if we're bringing whatever we're bringing into it, is it always, you know, fair across the board are, you know, just obviously that's something they have to think about and work through. And I got to say, they actually kind of knock it out of the park on this season. It's hard for me to say any of this was catered to anyone in particular there. I mean, athleticism is certainly a part of, you know, at least half of these missions, but 
it's always, you know, just like athleticism and agility. That's pretty equivalent across the board. There's almost never a time where like strength isn't involved at all um, in in any single one of these. The really the only thing that matters and the thing that really is the deciding between one team doing a little bit better than the other is all that matters in a lot of these is teamwork and kind of, you know, mental spirit more or less. And the men had that way more than the women did on this season, which brings us to our next big, big storyline, which is that the beginning of the season, and it ties in to these two storylines kind of tie together from the outset, day one, or not quite day one because of the big fight, they don't do the daily challenge right away, but daily challenge number one, the men sit down and decide, we are going to just vote off whoever is in last place via points. That way, no one ever has to make any decisions. No one has to get mad. No one has to get upset. There's no alliances. There's none of this. If you're in last place, you get sent home, and you're okay with it. And that way, we can all kick back, have a great time, support each other, be united, just you know, have a bunch of fun, and go out there and compete. And if you're in last place, it's your day to go home. And if you're not, you're not. And we all battle it out to get to that inner circle. And you're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. There's no way that's going to like stick the whole way through. And then guess what? It sticks the entire season. They never once. There's only one single time late in the season there becomes a tie. When they have six people left, James and Shane tie, and they actually have to make a decision between one or the other. But even that is very cordial and friendly and nice, and they both kind of know we're way too far back from the inner circle to actually make it there. So it's really who gets to stay for one more daily challenge or, and, or you know to be eliminated tomorrow instead. And so the entire season they're like, kumbaya they love each other they're this you know fraternity this brotherhood this family every single person on the men's team seems to have had a great time a wonderful experience made a bunch of friends and just had the best possible season ever and the most fun possible ever you know just the most relaxed season ever and on the flip side the women do not do this at all Um, which leads to the fact that the women drive the storylines all season long. They dominate the confessionals all season long. They dominate the screen time all season long because there's actually shit going on (laughs) with them. They actually have real discussions. There actually are some rivalries that pop up. There actually are some people that get backstabbed. There's actually every single time the inner circle meets, which pretty much is Ruthie, Ellen, and Emily almost the entire time. Um, the season, Ruthie and Ellen really bear the weight of everything for their team. Every single time they get together and say, all right, well, this person is at the bottom, but this person did this or this person did this or I don't like this person. And it turns into now we're, we want to get the negativity out of the team. So let's vote this person out because they're bringing the negativity. But now we voted them out and everyone got mad at us for not voting the lowest person out. And now there's more negativity. And so the next time around, we try to take out the negativity again. And instead, we create more of it over and over. And we get Veronica versus Emily, which is a little bit of a battle. We get Ellen versus Rachel, which is actually really Emily versus Rachel. But Emily just goes down by the water and smokes a cigarette while Ellen takes the brunt of that decision for her as well. We get Ruthie and Ellen, you know, like I said, bearing all the weight of all of this and feeling betrayed multiple times by Emily. We really just get Emily Bailey scheming her way through major portions of this season and just playing, playing the game the way it will eventually be played by almost everyone on every single season on this season. She was kind of the only one I mean, like, this is a cutthroat game. I'm here to win. Like we're kicking off people that might threaten me being in the inner circle or kicking off people. I don't like, I don't care. I'm just trying to get to the end with people that I can stand or want to be around. And 
just, yeah, it just, uh, it backfires throughout the season for them. And again, it, it backfires as far as they clearly weren't enjoying themselves the way the men were because they weren't this united front. It affected how they, how they performed in a big, big way, um, throughout with, you know, when you go into these daily challenges that are oftentimes silly and kind of take a, like, if you come in free spirited, having a good time, just there to like, let's compete and have fun, but it's not that serious to them this season. It turned into like, this is super serious. We can't lose again. We can't, someone's got to beat Jamie. Come on. Someone, someone's got to do something. And it really brought them down until late in the season. They finally, the last four or five times they get on the, all right, let's just, let's just kick out the person that's in last. And even that doesn't go a hundred percent well, because then they have some people quit and it's just a mess. So that storyline really, really dominates in a big way. Those kind of together that the format of the show makes it seem like the men are dominating when really they're not. It's a lot more equal and pretty balanced um, than the final scoreboard would reflect because it really wasn't 10 to five. And again, if you see stats from anyone else posting about this season, I'll just do my little stats rant here. Everyone else that has stats out there. The only one I totally, totally trust unequivocally is at challenge stats, either on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or Reddit. It's same person or account on all three at challenge stats. Their stuff is good, but, uh, anyone else that's telling you stats is almost without a doubt pulled all of theirs just by going through the Wikipedia pages, which for the most part are accurate, but do leave certain things. I mean, there's tons of stuff in the stat world of the challenge that are up to interpretation. Um, but the biggest, uh, one of the biggest ones is this season where most people would say that all of the men that on this season won 10 daily challenges when in fact, almost all of them were individual or pairs and they didn't, you know, you got Antoine winning three, you got Jamie winning three, you got James winning two, uh, a few others winning one individual. I count them differently, but again, the format, the men dominating, it wasn't the way that it was kind of depicted in the way that the, the ladies kind of allowed it or not allowed it, but started to depict it themselves in the middle because of the kind of proclaim in the prizes that were being given to the men for one of them winning a challenge. And then the men, you know, have their plan. They stick to it. They're kumbaya. And because of that, it, you know, makes all the women come front stage and center. They are the stories because they're the only ones with any sort of controversy. Anything, anything interesting happening was only happening with them because the men's team, it was just a foregone conclusion every single time based off points. And that brings us to, the final story, big storyline of the season that also will just run right into it because it goes hand in hand with these other two. And that is that the dailies take up way too much time of the show. The dailies are the daily challenges are the show this season. They're 80% of the show is just the daily challenges, which some, a lot of them are pretty good. Uh, some, you know, pretty interesting. This is still definitely in the kind of the silly phase of the challenge, a little bit more of a carnival style games here and there. Athleticism plays a part, but usually in very short, little tiny bursts, uh, whatever they have to do. It's more so about, can we get some laughs created out of this? Can we get some fear factor brought into this? That sort of thing. But the dailies take up way too much of this show. And, um, it's the first time in the series history that this becomes a thing. It's something that rears its ugly head kind of throughout the history of the show from this point until, you know, up to, up to now, there's still people that complain about current seasons today that there's too much airtime given to the daily challenge when they're more interested in the other stuff that's going on, be it the strategy of the game, the backstabbing of the game, or just 
the goofing off, the partying, the having a good time at the house, that sort of stuff that sometimes is more interesting. I am certainly one that, you know, I like a good balance between the two. I do tend a little bit more the sports side these days. I like a lot more, but I don't like a season like this one when it becomes every single episode's 20-minute episode, and without a doubt, within two minutes, we're into the daily challenge, and sometimes they would last up until there's you know four minutes left in the show, and it's just like, all right, who's voted out? And it's very quick, and that's it. And there's not a lot of time for the whole thing to breathe. There's not a lot of time for us to know, like, is anything happening at the house? Is there any romances? Is there any you know best friends being made? Is there anyone getting mad at each other? Why are there people talking about life? Is there is there anything you know human interest side? Is the show side something to show us? And there, there's not much of that. The only thing of that we really get is again the women deciding who to vote off and a couple backstabs that happen throughout the season. But otherwise, there's just there's not a lot because it just so revolves around the daily and. That really, really hurts um, things um, because, again, just the challenges, while they're fun, they aren't necessarily, they are interesting, but they're not the most interesting part of the show to the point that they should be 80% of the show. And the other part that then hurts is when it's so much about the daily, you know, a part, as we already mentioned, the men having no no voting storylines definitely, you know, takes away from how are we going to fill this time? You know, if it's an episode where we do have uh, the women, an actual deliberation, an actual like, are we going to pick this person, that person? And there's some, you know, fighting going on or some, you know, politicking going on or something of that nature. Great. But there was literally zero of that on the men's side. So I get that they didn't have, you know, they lost hat. One of the two teams was giving them literally nothing outside of actually competing. And so I get it. But it, it just really hurts the season when so much is taken up by the daily challenges themselves. And I just can't imagine that 36 people in Jamaica, there had to be more partying. There had to be more goofing around. There had to be more fun stuff that they didn't show. There had to be more just silly conversations that happened or, you know, uh, just what there was so many injuries. There were so many ankle injuries specifically on this season. There had to be, you know, people laying with their foot up, getting their toenails painted and other people making jokes and doing this, that or the other. Like there's got to just be more goofing around and fun stuff that could have been shown. Um, I guess maybe there wasn't another part to finish this out that can add back to tie into almost all of this with the format and with the dailies taking up too much of the show is the other part of this with the format was having two people eliminated every single episode from 36 all the way down to six in the end is another thing that over time they would figure out that really, really, you know, while you get that elimination every single episode and that can be intriguing and possible storylines. It is, it dwindles down and it makes the back half of the season like, all right, well, 36 people, there's so many people to love. Look at this cast. Oh my gosh, I can't believe all these people. But now eight episodes in, I'm like, ah, well, I had six people that I absolutely love, but they're all gone. And so like, I'm still interested in a lot of these other people. Now we got 18 left. Now we got 12. Now we're down to eight, 10, whatever. And that kind of hurts the show a little bit as well. So that was a long-winded, very, a lot of tangent way of saying the four biggest storylines of the season was the puck of it all, which is a bit of a bummer, if I'm being honest. The format of the men dominating not really being totally true, but being the way it was portrayed. The men making a plan and sticking to it while the women have no plan and you know have actual stories and, and interesting things to go around. And the dailies taking up a significant portion of the show too much of the show, probably around 80%, and that really kind of hurting the final television product as well. So those are the biggest storylines 
of the season. Let's move from there into discussing a little bit. We've already mentioned some of these, so it'll be pretty quick. But what aged the best from this season? What, looking back, is like, wow, that that really and it aged like a fine wine. What aged the worst? And what, if any, were there warts on this season, warts on the franchise because of this season? Let's discuss those now. All righty, so... Things that aged the best first. Uh, first and foremost, Ruthie being an absolute badass. That aged super duper well. Still is to this day and still would go on. Of uh, Many uh, many deb- wonderful, good debuts on this season. Ruthie, uh, Rachel, Anissa, Shane. A lot of debuts aged really, really well into some really uh, memorable challenge characters, if not Hall of Famers, having a, a good first season, a good first showing, and where we kind of get a good idea of who they are, what type of person and or character they might be in the challenge world. Ruthie at the forefront of that, absolutely kicking ass, taking names, being a badass, being a team leader. We would see that again on Gauntlet season in the future. And you know, even present day coming back into the all-stars world. So that went really, really well. Mark Long as kind of the caretaker of the show. Yet again, this is every season he has been a part of, whether participating or host. We have mentioned that it ages really, really well, that you can tell everyone there looks to him, and I should include Eric Nice in this as well, as the kind of the heads of state, if you will. The They're kind of the producers in the field, the showrunners in the field, especially coming off the season where they literally were hosting, and a lot of these people were on the cast the season before with Mark and Eric as hosts, and now on the season again. Those two are almost in every situation looked at as like, you know, the ones that not necessarily make the decisions, but are like the, you know, kind of the producers in the field a little bit of like, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Everyone wants to be liked by those two guys. They are such likable guys that want to, you know, want everyone else to have a good time and put everyone else's good time and the, you know, the everyone else's experience to the forefront. So Mark and Eric and really Mark, especially as kind of a caretaker of the show is obviously aged incredibly well. Now that he is literally executive producing the all-stars franchise then the other one that aged the best, I can't believe I'm saying this, but men kind of acting like gentlemen on this season aged really well. I had not seen this season in a long, long time. And going into it, I was expecting, ah, I don't know, 2003 men versus women. I'm going to go on a limb and say that uh, some of the guys uh, say some dumb shit during this season. And you know what? If you remove the puck of it all, the men are actually really nice <laughs> the entire season through. They have a great time. They're super cordial and nice. They're not, you know, even when they're winning a bunch of challenges in a row or one of them's winning, they're winning with class and whatnot. And the women, the same same thing. They, you know, whether each of the men or women, whoever's winning, losing, they handle it really well. They're really nice to each other. There's only, you know, very casual and fun natured jabs here or there from either side of like, you know, of course we're a little bit better. Of course we're going to prove this or that or the other. And I can't believe that uh, going into this, I was just completely expected um, men especially and the male versus female format uh, to both probably end up in the age the worst. And I was very pleasantly surprised to actually say, no, they actually aged really well. When we get to Battle of the Sexes 2, maybe that doesn't uh, happen quite as much, but we will talk about that when we get there. So for now, good job to us. Then, final one, uh, we already said debuts of a lot of interesting and impactful challengers, Rachel, Anissa, Shane. We said that along with the Ruthie. So that's what age the best. What age the worst? 
The format, Surefire. We talked a lot of the reasons about it with the storyline because so much of the storylines were based around the format causing some issues. One, again, the the entire one person wins the challenge. Their whole team gets a prize. That just kind of, you know, doesn't give a clear picture of what's actually happening and isn't maybe a great way to do it. Uh, the point system, this is the last season they would use it, thank goodness. And just overall, the the just the whole the whole as we again, as we said before, going you know, two people per episode going down, going down, going down, getting smaller, smaller, smaller the whole way, learning eventually to kind of backfill those eliminations and have as many people around for as long as possible as you know throughout your season that would be the way to go. So the format does not age great in many respects on that front. And while I love the guy, while I appreciate all he does as his three seasons as host of the challenge, got to say Johnny Mosley hosting, not Johnny Mosley himself, uh, by all accounts, great guy. Don't, don't know any reason that uh, he wouldn't have aged great just as a human being. But hey, as a host, it's it's a tough task to follow up Mark and Eric and everything they did, and which was a lot that they did hosting the previous season and coming right before we would get Dave Mira, who does a little bit more with the hosting than Johnny Mosley does. And then, of course, the challenge god himself, the host of all hosts, the greatest of all time, TJ Lavin, would eventually come into our lives a few seasons from now. And Johnny's just really not, he's not into the 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 gimmick, the bit, the way the Mark and Eric were the season before. He's kind of just there hanging out and, you know, it's fine. He's, he's there, but he clearly wasn't the, you know, he, I don't know if they planned on it, if he didn't want to, if they didn't want to, what the idea was, but certainly the idea of bringing someone not affiliated with the show into host was a, these other shows have a face of the franchise that is the host and not necessarily the participants were a little different because people come back and do multiple seasons, but we need a host like that too. Johnny Mosley did not end up being that guy. Then, as far as warts go, unfortunately, this season does have one, a big one. We've already talked about it longer than I wish we probably would have because it was bothersome to watch the whole season, but don't have Puck on the show, and it's a lot better probably in the end, even if you remove basically a majority of the first eight episodes, you have to do something else. You have to have different stories. You would have been able to have some. Um, Probably shouldn't have had him on, Definitely shouldn't have let him stay after the first episode of the season and spitting in someone else's face. And definitely shouldn't have let him look like he was correct when he said to Jonathan Murray, I've done so much for you, you need me. It did look like they desperately thought they needed Puck for ratings and uh, just everything that went down with him on the season. Uh, While the wedding was beautiful, if you can remove all the other stuff around it, um, it is a little bit of a wart on the franchise that they that they tried to bring back in a couple volatile characters, and guess what happened? Uh, you know, when you play with fire, as these shows have to try to do, that is the whole thing they and all reality television do. They actively play with fire. Sometimes uh, it doesn't go very well. You got to be really good and really adept at playing with that fire to not burn the house down. And this season, they more or less burnt the house down, or, or really puck. He didn't burn it down, but he basically tore the whole thing down by the end. So. That is that. Best, worst, and warts. Now, let's get a slightly more granular. Let's go all the way down to the, the lowest level we can. Let's hit ground level and talk awards. Let's get the trophies lined up. Let's hand out some hardware. We've got awards to give. Starting off, as we always do, with the best quote of the season. And I've got to be honest here. 
uh, I want, you know, with the best quote, we also like to hand out the Dan Renzi Award for confessional king or queen of the season. And this season, I don't know if anyone wins the award. I don't know. I think it might besmirch, besmirch, that's how you say that word, besmirch the honorable name that is Dan Renzi to give anyone the award for the confessional king or queen this season. Looking over the names and the numbers here, I mean, we don't even really have, you know, Ellen and Ruthie. The women, again, dominate the confessionals because they're the only ones actively trying to make any television here and have any interesting storylines between their team. Uh, So they dominate the confessionals because of that. And, you know, but it's a lot of explaining and narration and here's what's going on. Here's who likes you. Here's not. There's not that many people, you know, either cracking jokes or making witty comments or, you know, narrating in an incredible way. You know, Dan Renzi himself is on this season and has a couple memorable moments and quotes. But I I think we're we're going to abstain for the time being of getting anyone this honorable award. But we will hand out the best quote because while there was a tougher, tougher to come by this season, there were still a few. We'll run through four nominees here. First and foremost is the aforementioned Dan Renzi himself, because yes, he can't come onto our television screen and not say some funny and interesting and witty and fun and intelligent and enjoyable, entertaining things. So episode eight, they uh, they are all asked, uh, all the men are asked to put on Speedos to uh, match more or less the amount of skin exposure that the women in their two-piece bikinis would be wearing because they all had to sit on a block of ice and they needed as much of their cheeks shown and as much skin exposed to make the the ice as brutal to sit on for everyone. And in their Speedos, all the men, a bunch of them, had never really put one of those on. They were all very interested in putting them on, checking it out. And Dan, uh, very self-deprecating as he tends to be in a very hilarious way, realizes that, he needs to get in the gym and work on one particular muscle. So let's hear that from him. <laughs> this is the best day ever. I never knew how fat my butt was until I put on a Speedo. I got to go do some work. I got to work out, man. All right. Always great stuff. And honestly, if, if we, while the award stays vacant, we will allow Dan Renzi to have his own, the award named after him for now, temporarily until possibly later on, we decide who, if anyone deserves the Dan Renzi award for the confessional king or queen of the season. So, uh, congrats to Dan tentatively, temporarily for that. And for your nominee for best quote, second one, same episode, episode eight, Rachel, she is eliminated. She is blindsided on this quite a bit by one Emily, even though the brunt of the, uh, the blindside blame goes towards poor old Ellen. Um, Rachel goes, uh, is not happy about it. She lets everyone know she is not happy about it. And she eventually exits the game, letting everyone know just how ugly everything one person place game is let's hear this from rachel come to a decision this game is ugly the inner circle is ugly <laughs> and i don't want to be a part of it anymore <laughs> peace out what the hell is that? absolutely iconic exit for what would eventually be an iconic and first ballot hall of fame challenger with rachel then we've got episode 11 We've got Blair. Now, Blair, on this season, he was constantly, I believe it ended up being six or seven daily challenges in a row that he was in last place or second to last place, most of the time last place, going into the daily challenge, and then would just get just a few spots higher than the person right above him, pass them, and move into second to last place, and therefore, with the guy's strategy of always eliminating the bottom, he would just sneak by, 
someone would be eliminated and he would move back into last place going into the next daily and it would happen over and over and over again. And they just couldn't get rid of him. They weren't necessarily you know, trying to. It was always the lowest score, but he was always in last or second to last and always just eking out, bumping up to second to last every single daily challenge. And he commented on what that reminded him of, what an analogy he made of himself to this particular uh, this particular thing. So take it away, Blair. I don't know how I'm still here, dude. Seriously. This is like my sixth or seventh mission where I've been last place, and I've like just done enough to be second to last. So I'm like herpes, dude. Like you might lose track of me, but I'm always there. Fourth and final nominee is then uh, one of my favorite friendships that blossoms on this season is Melissa and Veronica. When Veronica is ousted from the game, not a total blindside, but another and kind of the final straw in the we've got to stop letting Emily just vote out the people she doesn't like and we got to take the reins here and, you know, get some unity going. Uh, and so Veronica is voted out much to the chagrin of her and a few of her friends, most notably Melissa, which as they say their goodbyes, Melissa laments that who she thinks her and Veronica would have been if they would have been best pals in high school. So let's hear that from her. What is this? What are you talking about? This is $9,000 worth of makeup. <laughs> it's not true. What are you talking about? This is the first time, including in all the missions, that I've actually used my muscles. <laughs> let ourselves down. I kind of feel like we were the girls that smoke in the bathroom in high school. It just kind of sucks. It was just so wrong on so many different levels. No, you're not the only one. There is very much a uh, there there. It, there can't, you can't help to be when you put there is almost on every season of this show, but very much a kind of high school click type of vibe that goes down with on the women's team. And it seems like it might happen on the men's team, but we just don't get any camera time with them because it it's more it's uh more uh you know more congenial, more friend everyone's friends, even if they have their little groups within the friends. But loved that quote from Melissa. But of those four quotes, Blair has to take it. I'm like herpes. He might lose track of me, but I'm always there. Blair was almost always there for a big, long run on the season, always just sneaking in, deservedly gets the award for the best quote. Moving into then the next award, the best moment of the season. And we'll do the awards or the uh, the nominees in uh, chronological order here. And I, I do have to say, again, as much as I don't want it to be the case uh, because of everything else that went down with this person on the season, it has to be said that one of the nominees has to be episode six, Puck and Betty's wedding. If I picked a specific moment out of the wedding, it would be Mark walking Betty down the aisle while holding Bogart in his arm and wearing a literal almost full tree on his back, uh, leaves that were six feet wide on his back. He looked like a peacock. Um, so that may be a particular moment, but the wedding was... Uh, if you could remove whatever feelings you might have while watching this for the groom, uh, it was, you know, a very a, a, an iconic moment. The fact they had a challenge, uh, a, a wedding on the challenge, it's got to at least be nominated for the best moment. Next, then, episode 11, we have the trivia challenge. They bring trivia into the game. This one is strip trivia, which uh, rightfully so, some of the women decide. This isn't necessarily very cool. The men are a little more comfortable with this than we are. We don't want to participate. We think this is kind of gross. And it it kind of feels a little bit like that, but it, in the end, it, they, you know, the ones that do participate, 
have a really good, fun nature time with it, and it isn't. It doesn't turn in, in, into anything gross. And some of the questions are kind of hilarious. The questions are the men get asked questions about females in particular, and a lot of female anatomy questions. And the you know the women get asked same type of questions about men more or less. But during the challenge, the first round of questions, and anyone can answer at any time, and a correct answer gets you a token and. I believe it was Melissa or Ellen. I think it was Ellen. Yeah, Ellen is just dominating. She's got like eight, and the, the highest number on the guy's side is like three. Jake has three. And so the second round, all the guys decide, you know what? We're all going to take a back seat here, and the only one allowed to answer is Jake so that maybe he has a chance of catching Ellen and winning this for us, which he does. He goes on a hot streak. He answers all kinds of questions correctly. He also misses enough questions that he has to get completely naked because every – question they ask they have to take off one of their allowed four pieces of clothing and it seems like they either don't ever get fully eliminated if they're willing to do continue naked they can stay in the game jake does he wins the whole trivia thing while being naked he goes up and accepts the prize naked he gets on this little bike he rides around he's wearing these glasses the whole time it's it's just hilarious the whole thing is very very funny and a very very funny moment and it's a part of trivia which is, as always, one of, if not the best, uh, challenges of the season. Third nominee for best moment, then, is James giving Blair the lifesaver and Blair turning down the lifesaver to then be followed by all of the guys in unison running over, Blair kneeling down, and all of them pouring drinks on his head to send him off on his way. Uh, When Blair is finally at the bottom of the totem pole, when uh, the herpes doesn't flare back up, to use his own analogy against him, um, he, he, you know, is that finally at the bottom, but James decides as the winner that day, he's going to use the lifesaver on him. And Blair says, no, this is how we've done it the whole time. We're not going to switch this up. I'm not going to stay. I should have probably went home a long time ago. I'm going, they all to, in a really just kind of a moment that sums up the camaraderie of the group, the whole season long, the way their plan from the beginning worked and created such team unity and everyone loving each other. And every single time one of them went home, given a nice little speech, a nice little moment, Uh, They all pour drinks on his head. It's just a wonderful moment that kind of encapsulates that big overarching storyline of the season. Then our fourth and final nominee is episode 15, Antoine. And this is the winner of the best moment of the season for sure. They have to do a daily challenge where they all lay down on their backs in a big old fish tank. They're all in this big, big tank together, breathing through a snorkel, holding a cup of water between their knees just up on the outside of the water. And every five minutes that they stay in this position, there are more sea creatures dumped on them until one person remains. Now, some people get eliminated within seconds and minutes. Others go on hours, and a few go on to go for three full hours. That would be Antoine and James. And near the end, the last hour or so of this, I think it ended up being three and a half hours that he was under this water, breathing through this snorkel, Antoine starts talking through the snorkel, starts making jokes through the snorkel, and there's four or five judges, uh, you know, just kind of production assistants or whatever, just people standing around red shirts that are kind of the judges um, that are going to, if anyone wobbles, if anyone's head just comes above water, you know, they tap them and they're out. One of them is a female who Antoine kind of jokingly takes a liking to, or maybe not jokingly, it's hard to tell, but in a very friendly, jokingly way, he starts hitting on her through the snorkel. So he's talking through a snorkel, which you can only imagine what that sounds like. He's asking her her name, uh, where she's from, all kinds of stuff. And (laughs) she starts giving it back to him. 
uh, making fun of him. She yells at one point, hey, like, nice boner that you got there, which I don't know. I don't think Antoine had a boner, but it was just funny, and everyone laughed, and it was a great time. But the entire interaction and the fact that Antoine's doing this while having been under the water for three hours, and the last couple people, Jamie and James, that are next to him are, you know, like, just going through hell. They hate everything about this. They're desperate to get a win. This is actually the Daily Challenge where Shane and James are both like, we have to get one spot better than the other or we're going to be eliminated or tied. The whole moment, everything about it is very comical in the midst of a very crucial part of the game. It's all great. That's the best moment of the season. Then, moving into the best athletic accomplishment, which Antoine in Human Aquarium is one of our six nominees. We'll start with that one. We just recapped it, so... That one is nominated. Then back to chronological order. We got episode three. Ruthie wins the first daily of the season, Dead Man's Drop. She holds on upside down by her legs for seven and a half minutes. Could have went seemingly forever. That's just, you know, once she had won, she was allowed to drop. But absolutely sets the tone early on that she's going to dominate for the females and that she's going to, you know, dominate in general. She wins, has as many individual wins, two as anyone in this season. She has two. Ellen has two, James has two, Jamie has two, Antoine has two. Those five all get two different individual wins on the season. Ruthie winning Dead Man's Drop, seven and a half minutes hanging upside down. That's number one. Antoine was number two. Melissa in episode eight, bordering on hypothermia. In the the one we referenced earlier, they have to sit on an ice block. They have to sit on an ice block with their butt on the ice block, their hands above their head for as long as they possibly can. Melissa does not win, but only because she is she is a pretty tiny person and the tinier you are the the less body fat that you have the more that ice impacts you and the more it can impact your body overall and your body temperature necessarily and melissa literally turns blue like her whole her arms her face are blue it's like a couple hours into this thing there's only three or four people left and the medic has to come over and check her and is like hey like you're probably about to get hypothermia. Like you're on the verge of hypothermia here. It's not quite happening to anyone else, but like you're you're in a bad spot. Like I would say, I'm not going to tell you to stop right now this second, but I would probably say you should probably stop this second. Everyone, all the other, the cast members that are already eliminated are coming over. Like, dude, you got to, Melissa, you got to stop. She's like, nah, I'm good. I, I'm clearly not good, but I'm good. I'm not going to quit. And she damn near gives herself hypothermia and is eventually forced not forced but talked into by basically everyone and like melissa please quit like please stop please let me pick you up off this block and let me give you medical attention because you desperately need it and she finally relents but it's a feat nonetheless deserving of being nominated episode 11 eric wins the leaky river competition which is basically a ropes course over the top of a river his time is way way better than everyone else's time he flies through it and he does so during a time where he's been calling back home his sister was in poor health at the moment so he had a heavy heart at going in a lot on his mind and yet he comes out and dominates so that was a great performance episode 12 jamie winning the stairway to heaven jamie murray yet again proving he's just good at anything and everything the challenge puts in front of him stairway to heaven was a contest where you had to climb uh, 80 feet in the air on a ladder, but it was like six ladders and they were going in directions. They were kind of going to the side. They were leaning this way and that all over the place. He flies up all 80 feet of these crooked ladders in like 25 seconds or something. It's astonishing. Then episode 15, Antoine, we talked about that. And then episode 17, finally, the final one is Ruthie. Again, second nominee and the winner of the best athletic accomplishment is episode 17, the final daily challenge called Maximum Velocity. 
They have to rappel downwards as fast as they can, but stop in a specific spot. And there's like a foot section of the rope that they have to stop right there to end their time. And if they overshoot it, they are disqualified. And it's all about speed. And Ruthie goes last. This daily challenge ends up taking three days. They keep getting delayed. Mark and Ruthie, the last two to go, get delayed two different days in a row because a storm rolls in. And Ruthie... Every all this weight, the the women have lost like five, six challenges in a row, haven't gotten any prizes. And this one, the last one is for cars of all things. Ruthie has been their leader all season long. All this weight on her shoulders. And she nails a one clip repel, four second, one drop, stops it at just the right moment to grab the last inch of rope and stop her in the stop zone. Four second drop, gets the win, wins the last four women cars. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's the best athletic accomplishment of the season, which brings us to then the best daily challenge of the season. This one will be real quick. We talked about all three at some point. Episode eight, freeze your butt off the sitting on the ice block. It's very funny. It has some interesting and crazy moments like Melissa almost giving herself hypothermia. Uh, has some funny commentary from lots of the people. Bring back frozen ice blocks as subject of daily challenges, please. And thank you. It almost always works no matter what they're doing with those ice blocks. Episode 10, the battle of the opposite sexes, which was the trivia contest. And episode 15, the human aquarium was very interesting and funny because it featured the best moment of the season. But the best daily challenge, as it almost always is, is trivia, battle of the opposite sexes, episode 10, which leads us to the best episode. And spoiler alert, it's also episode 10 with a shout out to episode one, the probably the best premiere we've had of any of the seasons, yet the season that maybe then, you know, tailed off the most. We'll get to the full season grade here in a moment, but episode one, episode six, the wedding episode is admittedly, you know, it is a very iconic and interesting episode of the challenge. Episode eight, freeze your butt off, mostly because of the daily challenge we just said, but episode 10, battle of the opposite sexes. Not only did we have strip trivia, uh, we had Jake who wins that one um, in, you know, memorable fashion, as we discussed. He decides to go home, uh, which is one of the many times that Blair ends up getting saved and he, you know, has a little speech about, you know, quitting and having had his good time there and this, that, and the other. That is also the episode where Veronica makes her one push up all the way into the inner circle, and so the everything on the women's side gets really, really tense because there's been Emily is out, Veronica's in, Emily's been gunning for Veronica, Emily's taken out some of Veronica's friends, everything's nasty, everyone's like, are we ever going to stop being nasty and start just doing it this, like, easy way that the guys are doing it? And even though Veronica doesn't seize the moment to get rid of Emily, uh, she does she does play with the moment a little bit as for you know for entertainment purposes and provides some quality television and it just makes things real tense and it just adds something non challenge daily challenge related to an episode to add to it. So that, although honestly, actually not the highest rated episode of the entire season in my episode ratings, I do have episode one as a B and this one as a B minus, but it is my favorite episode. It wins the best episode of the season. You don't have to be the highest rated to necessarily be the best. That makes zero sense, but we're moving on. That was the best episode of the season, which brings us to our final award. And let's take a quick break so we can gather our thoughts and move into the season MVP. This season had a clear and obvious MVP the entire way through. We will get to that winner, but first we've got we've got some honorable mentions, and we've got we've got three that made the final ballot and that ended up in the top three. The honorable mentions, first and foremost, Jamie Murray. Uh, we referenced earlier, he's just way too good at these things. He is now a two-time champion as of this season. He would go on to be a three-for-three three champion. 
any daily challenge they put in front of this guy, no matter what it consists of, he's just good at it. And then he also just doesn't really talk almost at all. Otherwise, we don't know that he's even almost there. He has a couple memorable little moments right when he shows up talking about he's kind of just a cowboy living, just living a living a remote wildlife at the time. Coming into the show, he's got a great beard, wears a cool cowboy hat a lot a lot of the season um seems just like a fantastic dude along with our other honorable mention melissa both going to be back on our television screens here as of this week with the real world new orleans homecoming so jamie murray all just for how good he is at all of this random silly stuff has to be an honorable mention again melissa uh his real world new orleans uh co-star she brings a lot this season uh some good confessionals She's kind of a linchpin of some of the back and forth of the team of trying to bring the team together. She, in the first few episodes, brings the immediate kind of drama when she, day one, walks right up to Julie, who also from Real World New Orleans, and who post-Real World New Orleans, her and Melissa had some falling out and issues, and lets her know day one, just walks right up to her and says, we're not friends, and I'm going to probably try to get you out of here, which she does rather quickly, first episode. Um, she performs well all season, so honorable mention goes to Melissa. Then we've got Ellen, poor Ellen. She's in the in the inner circle from the jump. She, I believe she's in the inner circle every single, every single time, and she gets persuaded multiple times by Emily or others to do things and then takes the brunt of it. She is the one who had the guts to tell Puck, I don't think this wedding's a great idea, and then suffered his wrath the whole time. Um, she's very front center. She has as many uh, confessionals. I'm trying to look back on the list here. Um, just about as many confessionals as anyone on this season. So she's very prevalent. Performs well, also gets two wins. And yeah, she does. She had the most confessionals, 55 total second was Ruthie. So she gets an honorable mention as well. Then we've got Antoine and Colin as the last two honorable mentions. Antoine for his two wins and for continuing the streak of having the the European, one European influx into the challenge from either Road Rules Europe or the real world London and you know being an interesting mix into the group and seeing them kind of you know he just has a really nice the last few episodes that he, of the season that he's on has some really good stories and really nice heartwarming moments of not just winning but you know feeling like part of the group not knowing what he was going to how he was going to enjoy being with all these american guys on one big team and he loved it he was accepted this that and the other antoine obviously with the best you know the the crux of the best moment of the season has to be an honorable mention and then there's colin who, uh, while he doesn't ever win, or no, he does get one, or no, the one win was the team, the team win, or the one that I was willing to call team win. Doesn't have any individual wins. But Colin does this. Colin is in the inner circle 15 out of 15 times on the men's side, and then the men win the final. And that means, as I recently brought up on a podcast episode yet to be aired, but in the next few weeks on the Challenge Fandom podcast, I went on with a bunch of the hosts on the Challenge Fandom podcast and discussed the greatest, most dominant seasons in Challenge history. And on my super-duper long list, I referenced Colin on this season, Colin Mortensen, Real World Hawaii. Technically, there's a, a way you could frame the idea of the most dominant season ever and say that it was him because... On this season, he literally, from day one, never was allowed to be eliminated. He was in the the inner circle from day one 
to the last final day, 15 out of 15, was never up for elimination, was always in power, and ended up getting the win on the season. And to boot, he like sprains, if not fractures his ankle in like the second or third mission of the season. And then he's just on crutches and has it wrapped the whole rest of the season, but still does and crushes many of the challenges, just works through the pain and then shows up to the elimination ceremony or the voting ceremony or whatever back on his crutches. And it's just crazy. He runs the final and then still like has his crutches there afterwards. He literally uses duct tape as an ankle wrap in the final, which is iconic. And so he has to be an honorable mention, but the top three can only be three. And there's a, the top two was the top two for sure. I might be showing a little bit of bias here by having the third place finisher be Veronica over a Colin or an Antoine um, or even an Ellen. But Veronica brought a lot this season. She was at the crux of the women, kind of the divide within the women's team a little bit. Um, For the second season in a row, uh, Emily targets her and eventually gets her out. Thankfully for us viewers, this time halfway through the season instead of the first episode. But uh, is kind of at least from what we're shown a little bit wrongfully targeted of like it she keeps getting this reputation as like the the mean girl-esque the like clicky like she has her friends and that's that's all you know she's not necessarily part of the entire team which we never get solid evidence of that but uh you know it comes up repeatedly but as you know, if you've been listening to these recaps or watching on the Instagram page or my Twitter feed, the episode-by-episode recaps, big, big Veronica fans over here. She brought a lot to the season, and she moved all the way up to my third spot in the MVP ballot for this season. As far as if you'd remove someone from the season, who do we lose the most? Uh, I thought she comes in third when framing it that way. The top two then, second place, is Emily, who is the one pulling all the schemes, making other people bear the brunt of the rage for those schemes. Her and James Orlando are in a relationship on this season, and they're really the only relationship. There's a brief moment between uh, Ayana and David right before he ends up leaving, but otherwise we only get the only real romance we get is the one couple that comes into the show and then eventually leaves the show together because Emily also kicks ass all season long, is in the inner circle almost the whole time, making all the moves, but then the moment that James gets sent home, she decides you know what? I'm just going to go home too. I've been talking this big game about like being the most competitive one here, but my boyfriend's going home. I've, I've, I've been here long enough. I've got some family stuff I could get back to. I'm going to go ahead and leave too, which is a big, big moment, a to be continued, you know, cliffhanger episode. So Emily's bringing all kinds of things. And I just, I will, when I think of this season, one of the first things I will think of is her continually voting someone out and then sneaking away down by the water and her and James just sitting there, she's smoking a cigarette and just kind of being like, oh yeah, they're all yelling at other people for the shit that I just did. And again, it's kind of the the first, she's really, really cutthroat. And it's the second season in a row, she's a little bit like that. She's on a two season tear coming off Battle of the Seasons where her and Timmy did so unbelievably well together now on this one. And then there's the winner. And that could only be one person, and that is Ruthie hands down the MVP of this season. She kicks ass by far as the most, uh, Jamie Murray might be the most dominant uh, in the challenges, but Ruthie is a close second, if not a tie or even a slight lead. She pulls off the huge, huge win in the last daily challenges. We talked about multiple of the best athletic feats. She is the de facto team leader, even if she doesn't necessarily want to be the entire time. And she easily could have been a challenge champion on this season. If 
that team would have stuck with a different strategy. If they would have done the exact same strategy as the guys and went with the lowest score possible, if that final mission was with respect to Ellen and Lori, if it was Ruthie and maybe a Rachel or an Emily, if she would have stuck around or even a Veronica or, um, you know, who am I even leaving out? Obviously, Ayana. Yeah, if it was Ayana in there with Ruthie, if it was Emily in there with Ruthie or Rachel or Veronica, I think they honestly win the final challenge because they they dominate the puzzle portion of the final challenge. We haven't talked about any other points, so I guess I'll just mention here that uh, the early, an evolution in challenge history, I should have said at the very beginning, cheating on a puzzle and cheating on a puzzle, literally winning $50,000 for the three guys. There's three phases to the final. The first one is this weird walking thing together. The guys get a slight lead, but then they have to put this big block puzzle together. The guys have no idea what to do. The women figure it out very fast and take a huge lead into the third section, which is a ropes course, which favors the guys a little bit. And the guys literally have no idea. They would not have probably finished the block puzzle in any near time to catch up, if not for the fact that the women left theirs standing right next to it. The guys go over, dissect the women's, put theirs back together, eventually catch up and get the win. So that's another evolution in the game. When you finish a puzzle and you're told you're good, break that puzzle up before you run off away. It literally probably costs those women $50,000. But even with that mistake, if that mistake would have stayed, I think if Ruthie has a couple different teammates, if they would have let you know the best of the best in the competition get all the way to the end, there's a good chance they would have taken home that money. But regardless, Ruthie dominates. You know, second most confessionals. She's front and center of every storyline because it's always her, Ellen, and Emily in the inner circle making all these decisions that are most of the storylines. It's her dominating in the daily challenges. It's it's Ruthie, Ruthie, Ruthie from start to finish, literally from start to finish. The pre-show uh, special where they introduce the entire cast members is hosted by Johnny Mosley and Ruthie. So they knew going in she was going to you know be the star of the series, and she was absolutely. So hats off, the sixth ever MVP in challenge season history is Ruthie Alcade from Real World Hawaii. Congrats to you. And that takes us to the final moment. The big, big decision we've got to place this season in the pantheon of challenge history. So with the grade, we again, as always, give out our letter grade for the seasons. And we place them where where they will eventually be for all time in the challenge hall of fame, in the documents of history, in the annals of history, whatever you want to say. This is the official grade. These are the ones that matter. In this one, as I said, right at the very, very start, and as you probably picked up on, even as, as long-winded as I've been about many of the things with this season and this season in general on this podcast, thank you for sticking with me all the way here till the end, you definitely picked up on the fact that this season didn't quite tickle my fancy the way the ones before it or many of the ones after it have and will. It is the lowest rated of any of these seasons so far, six in. Now let's break it down on the four, our four subgrades before the overall grade. On the female cast, female cast, male cast, sport grade, show grade, two pillars, and kind of the cast is always split half and half. So that's our the four subgrades we give to come up with our, you know, to more or less use, not an exact average, but to use as our guiding light to give us our overall grade on the female cast side. This one is an A minus. is the best part of the entire season. It is the part that has all the potential. is tied with 
challenged 2000 season three for the highest rated female cast to date. In my mind, there is just so many absolute killers on the female side of this cast. I mean, we've got Ruthie, we've got Ayana, we've got Veronica, Tanya, Anissa, Rachel, Yasella, Beth, Julie, Emily Bailey, who's on an unbelievable two season run at this point. Just absolute, absolute top to bottom, high quality challenge, talent, and personalities and characters. Now, it affected the season in a big way that a lot of those people went home early. You know, Julie's off first episode, Beth's off second episode, Yasella fourth, Rachel, Anissa, Tanya, Veronica, right in a row, right in the middle, Ayana right after them. So a lot of the biggest personalities and the ones that would go on to have these amazing careers that, you know, lend themselves to when you look at this list and you say, yeah, this cast was had to be in the A range as an A minus. A lot of them went home quickly and in the middle and, you know, not necessarily to the end. So that is why, you know, this grade is really, really high for the female cast, but doesn't necessarily reflect as much so in the overall grade of the season because the potential of this unbelievable cast that they put together on the female side wasn't 100% met. Over on the male cast side, we're going to give it a B rating, which puts it right kind of in the middle of all of the seasons. The male, this is actually the first season, if I double check my work here, the second season that the female cast much higher rated than the male cast. Uh, but a B, still very, very good. Still a lot to love. Just a little more hit and miss on the male side when you're talking 18 people. It is really hard to do. That's what makes the women's cast so impressive. Uh, out of 18, they had so many heavy hitters. But you still got your Mark Longs, your Jamie Murrays. You got Shane making his debut. You've got Eric Neese back. You got Cyrus back. You've got Dan Renzi. You've got Yes, even though it's short-lived. You got Latarian, even though it's super short-lived. So you've got a bunch, but you've also got a bunch that don't, you know, a James Orlando here that makes a bit of an impact in a couple early seasons. Um, you know, Antoine makes an impact in this one season. Sure, Colin kind of does just off the stats alone speak for themselves, but doesn't necessarily have the huge impact. So not quite the uh, nearly enough heavy hitters here to be, you know, anywhere near the A category, but still solid, still a handful of Hall of Famers in there. So a B for the male cast. And then the grades drop off because then we get to the sport grade, which is a C and the show grade, which is a C minus. And that's just, you know, the, there's the daily challenges being the focus of them. You'd really wish they would be a little bit better, a little bit more interesting. There was some I really liked some with a lot of potential that maybe wasn't all realized, but in the aggregate, they were kind of real average for what they were. And then on the show side of things, there just wasn't a lot going on. And some of the biggest storylines, like all of the puck stuff, the first six, seven, eight episodes aren't the greatest storylines, aren't the, you know, you're again, that whole playing with fire thing. You got to be able to do it, but you got to find a way to play with that fire without it burning anything down. And this time it started, you know, it started simmering on the edges. It started burning some of the edges and it eventually kind of collapsed on them a little bit in a couple different spots. And so, Really, the only storylines we had, again, going back to the, the men, there was no storylines with the men's team because it was so cut dry the whole time. The women, a couple little rivalries, a couple little backstabs here and there. But everything we talked about in the big storylines of the season fills in why the show grade gets a C- minus for the actual the show portion, a C for the sport, a B for the male cast, an A- minus for the female cast, which leads me to the overall grade. This one is a C-. minus, And again, there's so much potential. The cast really really this cast in any other season with different format could be an a season could definitely easily be in the B's for sure. But it's a C minus it's the lowest rated to date. 
And again, it has a lot to do with just the format, really, you know, everything we talked about in the storylines, the format kind of in a few different ways, really dampened the season down, ruined portions of the season, the puck of it all ruined it for me personally. Maybe someone others out there feel a little differently if they watch this back, which again, as I said at the very top, this is one season that you can find at least currently as of recording on daily motion. If you search the right mixture of real world road rules, the challenge season six, uh, you could find it and watch it for yourself. Maybe your grade would be higher or lower than mine, but a C minus, the lowest rated season to date. Even so, still love it. Still love a lot of the things that happen. Still love so many of these cast members, certainly, and still very much die hard love fan of this franchise and so many more wonderful seasons to look forward to. But not all of them are going to be A's. Not all of them are going to be B's. Not all of them are going to be C's or C pluses. Some of them aren't, are going to rate lower. And I'm going to go on a limb right now and say a C minus is not going to be the lowest rated final season grade we ever give. Uh, there is going to be a few that probably rival this and even sink into the dreaded D category. So it's a C minus. It's in the pantheon. It's in the annals of history for all time. These are the official grades. The I am the official historian. This is what matters. So forever and ever, it will be a C minus. It will be where it ends up in the final rank of all 37. We will see when all of them have been graded. But for now, that is season six, Battle of the Sexes. And that is all for this podcast. We will be back again very, very soon with season seven, The Gauntlet, one of my absolute favorite seasons. I can guarantee you this one ain't going to be a C minus. That, that I can tell you up front. One of my absolute favorite seasons. Really, really looking forward to diving back into that. As always, hit follow, subscribe wherever you may be listening to this. And also, if you want further content on these seasons, head over to Instagram at the Challenge Historian, where this is the first season I have not posted full, big, in-depth, hundreds of stories, long recaps, but a bunch of the highlights and things we talked about in this uh, podcast episode are up and will be up over the next few days on a highlight reel on the Instagram page. Anything the first five seasons beforehand, you can see episode by episode, moment by moment recaps, tons and tons of clips. So if you can't find a place to watch those somewhere, you can more or less watch a Cliff Notes version of them on the Challenge Historian's Instagram page. Check out the highlights at the top and the stories we're posting every single day. With that, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to talking to you again very, very soon about one of my favorite seasons, The Gauntlet. Until then, have a great week. Peace. Come on, let go of those empty shots. Come on.